0: starts now. Thanks for tuning in today as I interview Carrie Kozial about diastasis rectus abdominis. Carrie is incredibly gifted as an instructor and does such an incredible job in this episode explaining DRA, which is a separation of the left and right sides of the outermost abdominal muscles. She also talks about how to prevent it, what to do if you do get it and myths and facts around those kegel exercises before we dive in a couple of announcements one On my Instagram account, if you click on the link in bio, you can now access products that are associated with some of the given posts that I share. Additionally, my show notes share tons of information that I can't always fit into my podcast, so you can check that out. I'll give related podcast episodes, resources that are related to the podcast, you name it, it's there. So definitely check out those show notes. And of course, if you like this episode, please do rate it and write a review so we can ensure this gets at the top of people's playlists. Without further ado, Let's talk to
1: Carrie. So diastasis rectus abdominis refers to an abnormal separation between the left and right rectus abdominis or six-pack muscles. And I say abnormal and emphasize that because some women are under the impression that those muscles are fused together. They'll say, I really want to close my gap you never fully close a gap. There's always a tiny space between the two six pack muscles. A normal space is about half a centimeter. For those of you that are not good with measurements, like I am, think about the distance between like two knuckles on your finger. That's about a half a centimeter. That's about what we would consider a normal separation. Now, the research is very divided as to when does it become abnormal? And numbers hover around one and a half centimeters to two and a half centimeters. Generally, the general consensus is about two centimeters and above is considered an abnormal separation, but less and less are we talking about the gap and more and more we're actually talking about the tension in the connective tissue between those two six pack muscles. And I know that gets, that gets a little hairy when we're thinking about all those different terms, but it's important to know what causes it, what causes the separation between the six pack muscles. And it's really any excessive repetitive forward pressure on the connective tissue. So for example, kids get this, Uh, men get this. This isn't just isolated to women. We're going to talk primarily about women, but somebody that has, for example, a chronic cough and that constant (coughs) pressure on the connective tissue can create a separation. We see this in kids in third world countries with those poor big bloated bellies where the pressure of their abdomen is pushing out into the connective tissue. But when we're talking about a population that's really vulnerable, This is where we're talking about pregnant women because they have the hormones, progesterone and relaxin that serve to soften the connective tissue all over the body during pregnancy, not just in the pelvis. So they're hormonally at a little bit of a disadvantage because those tissues are a little bit weak. And then we talk about the excessive repetitive forward pressure of a growing baby and a growing uterus that create some pressure and strain there. And then I'm going to add on to that body mechanics, because sometimes we do things movement wise that put too much pressure on the connective tissue, or we choose exercises that we think are really healthy for us, but strain an area that's already vulnerable. So Right off the bat, a couple of moves in pregnancy that I really ask women to try to avoid are excessive crunches or head lifting exercises, twisting, especially a weighted twist. If you have something in your hands and you're doing a weighted twist that that can put this area in a really vulnerable state. Being in the all fours position is fantastic because it unweights the baby from the spine, but you don't want to be there for a really, really, really long period of time. So those those three moves are really the ones that I ask pregnant women, you know, to kind of avoid and and scale back on. Um, How do you know you have this? That's another question. Most women don't even know they have it. So here's some things to look for. And this is both in pregnancy and then after you have a baby and really well beyond after you have a baby. Some women will notice when they go from lying down to sitting up, they see almost like a coning or a doming in their midsection, like something's kind of poking out between those six to six pack muscles, or maybe if they do a back bend, so they're standing and they just kind of extend back a little bit. They'll see that same coning or that doming. Some women say, I have my baby and the baby's just kind of bouncing on my belly. And it feels like they're like bouncing on an organ. And if that connective tissue has thinned to such an extent, it will feel like they're bouncing on an organ Or women will say, I'm trying to fix my belly. I don't like the way my belly looks, but when I go to the gym and I do all the traditional ab exercises, it actually ends up looking worse when I'm done. That's another cue or a clue that perhaps this might be going on. Um, And then just a, a general weakness. Women will say, I just, I feel like Gumby. I feel like I can't sit up straight. I feel like I'm disconnected. I just, I don't feel like my core is strong. Something is wrong. And all of these are indications that this could possibly be going on.
0: When does a woman need to be monitoring this? So when you were saying here are signs that it could be going on, like the working out one, it came across to me as it would be after they've already delivered a child, which I don't see a woman going. I know I certainly didn't work out right away. And I re- I did pure bar until I think the Friday before my son was born. I went kayaking the day before he was born. Oh my goodness. <laughs> don't ask. He came a week early. So I didn't exactly, it wasn't like I said, let's go kayak and my kid's coming tomorrow. He just came early. <laughs> but you know with the working out piece because I'm also I guess partly having this sense of urgency because I know one of the things we talked about is women really need to be aware that this could be happening sooner rather than later to be able to properly heal can women notice this early enough by the signs that you're saying and I guess when Might it be too late? Because I do want to clarify for women that there is somewhat of a sense of urgency, not that we're trying to create panic, but just awareness like this isn't, oh, I just had a baby. I'll deal with this, you know, in six months. So can you kind of explain that path?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I don't really think it is ever too late to heal a diastasis. I see women in their 70s and 80s that have this and do fantastic with a rehab program. Where it does become a little bit more urgent is right after you have a baby, research shows you have this like six to eight week window to kind of maximize your healing. So if you did have a diastasis to really do a lot of things where you can help mold those tissues back to their working order without having to do a whole lot of exercise and work. So that six to eight week window is really, really important. But that doesn't mean if you don't discover this until, you know, 12 weeks postpartum or 12 years postpartum, that there's not anything you can do. There's still quite a bit you can do. I just like when women have this on their radar and can do some things in that first six week postpartum time to really maximize their ability to heal without having to do a rehab program.
0: Okay, got it. That makes sense. You talked a little bit about this when we spoke, how you got to figuring out how women need help, uh, because I do want women to understand that it seems like caution needs to be taken on where the help is gained, because things could be done to not help and potentially make it worse is what I'm gathering. Cause there's mm-hmm. a, just, I'm noticing with, when it comes to the pelvic floor and other factors, there's so many nuances. Like a lot of people think with pelvic floor specifically do a Kegel, but if you do them wrong, you're actually not helping. So there's just so many nuances to this. So maybe you can talk about your journey and how you learned about these nuances and, and what women practically and realistically need to be doing if they do have DRA.
1: I developed a diastasis rectus abdominis myself between my second and third pregnancy. And this was so frustrating because this is my business. I'm in the women's health world. So I really had to take a look back at the exercises I had been doing to figure out, was there something I could have done differently to maybe avoid this, or at least make, make it not so, you know, not so severe of a condition. So I started taking a lot of programs in the United States, and I, I gleaned little bits of wisdom from each one of those programs. However, What I found is that most of the programs were asking me to contract my abdominals to such a great extent that the intra-abdominal pressure had nowhere to go, but down. And I ended up creating uh, cystocele, a bladder prolapse, where the bladder starts to make its way down out the vaginal opening, which by no means did I wanna fix my abs at the expense of creating another problem further down the way. And you know, I see this a lot with intraabdominal abdominal pressure, it, it takes the path of least resistance. So it's either gonna come out in between the opening between those two six pack muscles through the connective tissue there, where it's gonna come out down in the pelvic floor region. So we really have to be careful as women that we see those two you know, exits for pressure and start to develop exercise programs that make sure that we're maintaining the pressure in our body in a way that's healthy. So I ended up flying to Canada. I took a great class called Bellies Inc. Uh, that was specifically research-based geared towards women's health physical therapists, And in that class, kind of all the pieces finally came together. So I realized that there has to be this coordination between your thoracic and pelvic diaphragm in order for any of the programs to work. There has to be this focus on movement. So we sometimes get bogged down with exercise. And I feel like we get this in the nutritional sense of the word. We get that you can't have quinoa for breakfast and then Burger King for lunch and dinner and look back on your day and say, what a healthy nutritional day that was for me. But we do this with exercise. We'll exercise for an hour in the morning and then we'll slump into our cars and drive home from the class or we'll bend over our children or our dishes or we'll get online and be bent over computer workstations and then slump into the couch at the end of the night and say, oh, this was a good movement day for me because I did that exercise this morning. And unfortunately our bodies don't work that way. They're responding to the forces that we place on them all day long. So while yes, there are key exercises that I think you need to do to strengthen your deep abdominals and your pelvic floor, we need to switch the mindset to see Now I'm done with those exercises. I can't see it as check and move on with my day. It's check and now how else am I gonna take my body around the world in a way that respects the parts so that it's not just a rehab program you do one time, it's really a different way of moving your body. And so with a condition like diastasis rectus abdominis, We have to manage the pressure. We have to coordinate your respiratory and your pelvic diaphragm, but we really need to put a lot of emphasis on body mechanics and just moving your body better. And that applies to pregnant women, postpartum women, and women who are far beyond menopause that are still moving around the world. This is how we lift laundry. This is how we lift kids. This is how we use our bodies in a way that manages the pressure and respects our parts. And again, that's why you'll hear a lot of times women will say, well, you know, maybe my doctor identified the separation, but they said, oh, the only thing you could do for it is surgery. There are a small percentage of women who will require surgery for this condition, but surgery is fixing the anatomic problem without taking into account the biomechanical forces that created the problem to begin with. So if you don't re-educate a woman of how to sneeze properly or how to lift properly or how to get out of bed properly, you fixed, you have put a bandaid on the problem without getting really to the root cause of what is, is that, problem? What is that issue? So there's a lot of education that needs to be done.
0: One thing that is fascinating to me, and I think it's really important to educate women, and this is why I talk to the subspecialists and I almost call PT like a subspecialist in the field, especially when it comes to pelvic floor, is how women come to you and having awareness for women around some of the challenges they may face upfront because the routine that we have is we'll go to our OBGYN and that is who we tend to see for any female issues. And there we have to assume the OBGYN understands what pelvic floor PT is and knows when to refer a woman. And if they don't, the woman needs to understand when it's time to go to a pelvic floor PT. But then there's also, you know, with the surgery, if it is recommended, you know, is it really needed? And just trying to understand that path. So, so can you help the audience understand maybe either myths, mistakes, themes, like just what they can take away around how some of the challenges you've seen about how women can find someone like you and, and just what you've seen in reality?
1: I think OBGYNs are getting a little bit more well-versed in what a women's health physical therapist does. And, And it, it, it would be a good time to maybe just talk about what really is that a women's health PT, in addition to treating orthopedic things like, you know, back pain, neck pain, knee pain, all of that. We specialize in more intimate diagnoses. So things like pain with intercourse, urinary incontinence, fecal incontinence, tailbone pain, and then a whole host of pregnancy and postpartum issues. And we treat these things intravaginally and intrarectally. And a lot of women are very nervous or apprehensive about us being in such an intimate space, but we really take our time with these women. There's a separate room. It's not like you're out in the gym, you know, with everyone doing their, you know, bicep curls and and bench presses, you're you're in like a, a, a nice intimate space. There's a lot of education that goes into it we spend a lot of time working on parts. It's not like a gyne, you know, a gynecologist visit where you're in and out and hiding your underwear and your pants in the corner. And, you know, the speculum, we really spend some time. Those muscles are muscles like anywhere else in the body. You, you develop a trigger point in your, in your upper trap. And you don't think twice about going to a massage therapist to have that work done. Right. But if you think about what happens during pregnancy and childbirth, and just the act of being a sexual person on this planet, there's a lot of trigger points that can develop in the pelvic floor. And sure you can do some stretching and whatnot, but just like you can't always stretch out a knot in your neck, you really need a specialist that's able to go in there and identify the trigger points or identify a muscle that's too tight. And you mentioned, you know, you mentioned Kegels earlier, you know, sometimes we we hand out Kegels like, you know, candy on Halloween, Kegels for everyone. But if you came into the clinic with a bicep muscle that was stuck in place, I wouldn't say go home and do 300 bicep curls. I'd say, wow, I actually don't want you to do anything to work your bicep right now. We need to lengthen this muscle out, really massage it, get it to stretch because a a strong muscle knows how to contract and to fully relax. So same in the pelvic floor where some women, Shouldn't be doing a ton of work down there if their muscles are really tight and guarded. They should be learning how to lengthen and relax those muscles before adding on the strengthening. So it really takes a a professional person that can evaluate those muscles, can tell if the muscles are strong or weak, if they need more endurance, if they need to be relaxed, if there's trigger points. And I really feel like any woman that has a baby deserves to see a women's health PT at least one time. Just to get all these things checked out. And women really do need to advocate for that themselves. It's not always a typical standard of care that you go to see your doctor and you get a referral for physical therapy. So before you sign up for anything, you know, like surgery or something more invasive, I would always suggest hey, what about seeing a women's health PT to look at some of these intimate areas and see if I can fix this from a fitness, you know, standpoint or a muscular standpoint? Because a lot of these are fitness issues that deserve a fitness solution, not necessarily a surgical solution.
0: I love your suggestion about every woman going Mm -hmm. to see a women's health PT because, you know, a friend of mine actually recently had a, a baby and we were talking about this and, you know, she didn't give me the details, but it didn't sound like she had anything specific wrong. I think she did it almost as a proactive precaution and just went for a couple of visits and found it to be extremely helpful and I told her about a couple of my episodes related to this topic but they were like a lot broader than talking about DRA and it was just really interesting to hear her journey and now full circle you're giving this recommendation as well and it's it's so smart cuz you know even as you were talking you know I went to Pure Bar I think I went like six days a week while I was pregnant and about six months in, I was like turning green if I didn't eat a banana before I went. Cause I would go first thing in the morning <laughs> and I'm listening to you and I'm like, did it help my child come out in 20 minutes? You know, could I have potentially like done something wrong that could have created this issue for me? So it's just, you know, a lot of questions and nuances. So, so very helpful. Cause I certainly didn't, um, didn't seek that out. It's something I always like to talk about too, because um, I feel like I don't want any woman listening to this to be like, who is this privileged podcaster talking about these things when not everyone has access to care? And, you know, I don't know how accessible women's health PTs are all over the country and even the world. And so, you know, for those who may not be able to have access, do you have any practical words of wisdom that you could offer to them so that they I mean, because I can only imagine like you have a baby or something, you know, is happening and your abs look this way and you're trying to work out and you still feel good about yourself and it can have a lot of impacts. So I'm just curious if there's other things women can consider and be aware of.
1: Well, and you bring up a good point. I mean, the research shows 60% of women with a diastasis will have some other support related issue, whether that's lower back pain because their abs are not functioning properly. So now the back is working over time, whether that's urinary incontinence, a sexual dysfunction, pelvic organ prolapse. So a lot of women come to see me, or at least know that they have this condition because they see aesthetically, it doesn't look the way they want it to look, but it really is a true health concern. And so, yes, there's a few things. a few things that we can do. The first is coordinating your pelvic and your respiratory diaphragm. And this gets a little tricky, but it's about the way you breathe when you work your muscles and breathing totally matters. So if we were to just contract our pelvic floors together here, can we do this? The two yes, of us?
0: I'm going to okay. do it.
1: So I want you to think about your pelvic floors, the space between your pubic and tailbone, the space between your two butt bones. It's like a diamond. And I want you to inhale and let that diamond-shaped area melt like melted butter into the surface that you're sitting on. Really let those muscles go.
0: Wait, while I'm inhaling? Not exhaling.
1: Exactly. See, it's backwards. So you're going to inhale and melt. Let those muscles go. And on the exhale, you're going to contract your pelvic floor like you're stopping the flow of urine. So tummy is quiet. Butt cheeks are quiet. It's just pelvic floor working. And on the inhale, allow those muscles to melt like melted butter into the surface that you're sitting on. Now, 95% of women doing this right now will do the opposite. They'll say, well, I I wanted to like inhale and suck up my pelvic floor and then exhale and let it go. But we've got a pelvic and a respiratory diaphragm now that are not coordinated. And this matters. This completely matters. So we really have to think about exhaling on the exertion. And the exertion is the lift of the pelvic floor. Now there's 22 different types of Kegels. We're taught one Kegel and most of us are not even doing it the right way. So if you want to know if you're doing it the right way, next time you're taking a shower, you're going to put your finger into your vaginal opening, like one inch. And when you do this contract, like you're stopping the flow of urine on the exhale, you should feel your muscles wrap around your finger and lift your finger up into the vaginal opening just a little bit. You should not feel your muscles torpedoing your finger out of your vagina. It should be a gentle lift. Now there's three layers of the pelvic floor. So when we just do that generic contraction, we're really only getting the superficial muscles, but a great visual if we do this together again to get the muscles a little bit higher up towards the fallopian tubes where they where they go all the way up is to picture that we're sitting over a ripe blueberry you're never going to look at a blueberry the same way again but you're no. sitting over never, never. <laughs> you're sitting over a ripe blueberry and you're going to inhale let your muscles melt over the top of the blueberry And on the exhale, wrap your muscles around your blueberry, lift it up two to three inches into the vaginal opening. Now it's a blueberry, not a refrigerator. So this is not the hardest lift of your life. It's a tiny controlled lift, but pull it up a few inches. And on the inhale, let that blueberry just drop out and roll away on the floor. And by doing that contraction, now we're pulling it up a little bit higher. So any woman, regardless of what sort of access she has, can work on exercises that time the breathing and get the diaphragm and the pelvic floor working like a piston system, like a merry-go-round where they're moving up and down together. You're coordinating it well, and you're doing a really good solid contraction that values the contraction just as much as it does the relaxation portion of it. The second thing is avoiding some of those exercises I mentioned. If you know you have this condition, like the crunches, a lot of times on all fours, a lot of planking, a lot of weighted rotation until you fix the condition. So I am not anti any exercise. I'm not anti sit up. I'm not anti CrossFit. I'm pro bringing more of your body to the exercise that you're doing. So really scaling back in the beginning until you rehab your body and then. Then taking your body back to those exercises that bring you happiness and joy with a new appreciation of how you're using your body. And then third thing is not just thinking about exercise, but thinking about how you're lifting that baby up, how you're getting out of bed in the morning. If you have a newborn or in the middle of the night, gosh, six or seven times, are you jackknifing out of bed, popping up with these tender tissues to look over at the baby to see if they're still breathing or what that noise was or what that gurgle was? Or can you slide onto your side and press yourself up in a way that respects your deep abdominals, the fact that they've just been through some sort of trauma and treating your body with a little more care? When you lift up that heavy laundry basket, what part of you is participating in that activity? Can you bring your ribs together? Can you hug your belly gently towards your spine? And can you lift your blueberry? all your core working together before you bend over and lift up that laundry basket. So again, we have to get out of the mindset of thinking I'm going to do this hour of exercise in the morning and then not move my body all day. And rather think about how am I going to take my body through all my activities of daily living in a way that manages the pressure and respects my parts so that if I have this condition, I don't worsen it. And if I don't have this condition, I don't actually develop it just from the act of being a person on this planet.
0: That's awesome. Now, let me ask you this. Could, because let's face it, once the baby comes, I know, I remember my best friend had this fantasy of organizing all of her pictures. Oh, yes. This is like when everything mm-hmm. started to really get online. And she's like, I'm going to organize all of my pictures on maternity leave. And then like halfway through, I think towards the end, I'm like, how are the pictures? She's like, I didn't even touch them. Of course. The Everyone <laughs> has the fantasy. So, you know, even, even you know, trying to do exercises like this might be overwhelming. So could we tell women, While you're pregnant, even be proactive and start teaching your body. This is that one, safe
1: yes, to do? Yes. 100%. We're trying to create a muscle memory so that you can tap into that in the postpartum phase. So starting out your pregnancy journey in a way that you start working these deep abdominals in your pelvic floor, number one, it's going to help your body support your baby throughout that pregnancy. It's going to help with this diastasis condition because we're strengthening the muscles in a, in a more proper way so that we don't predispose you to this happening. It's laying the foundation for everything that comes afterwards. So So, So absolutely starting in a pregnancy with a really solid core strengthening program that works your body and treats birth almost like an event. If I was going to have a triathlete come see me, I would break down each part of what they're going to have to do in their events and train them accordingly. We need to do the same thing with birth. What are your hips going to be expected to do during a vaginal birth? what muscles need to be stretched, which muscles need to be strengthened. And then we need to back it up into an exercise program that is sport specific or labor specific or event specific. So not only is that going to help in the pregnancy, but then in those weeks afterwards, it's really going to help you tap into that muscle memory so that you have a more comprehensive, quicker recovery. And I'll say, you know, we have this, you know, six week postpartum visit so much is happening in that first six weeks. And it's almost like we in the society are scared to see women in that six weeks. Like we didn't want to touch you. We know you're trying to figure out breastfeeding. We know things are hanging out down in the vaginal area we don't even want to mess with you until that six weeks. And I think we really do women a disservice by not seeing them till the six week mark, because you have this six to eight week window where you can really maximize your recovery. Number one, I'm a huge fan of belly binding. Um, you know, there's different schools of thought where, you know, some women will say, well, you put the binder on and the muscles just go to sleep. And so you're really atrophying things. I disagree. You've had basically an injury, a trauma to that area. We wouldn't think twice about wrapping an ankle. If you sprained an ankle, you've, you've had an injury to this area. So Wrapping the belly, not only makes you more proprioceptively aware to how you're moving your body around the world, but it helps bring those two six pack muscles closer together. It helps the connective tissue generate more tension. So I say for the first six weeks, as close to 24 seven, as you can wearing some sort of even a generic belly binder or something is really, really helpful. Number two, your body mechanics. So again, the way you pop up to, you know help the baby, the way you change diapers, bent over a a pack and plate, the way you bathe the baby, you know, such a backbreaker over the tub. You should create a nursing throne or if you're not nursing, a feeding throne. You know, you're you're sitting to feed the baby eight, nine times, you know, nine times a day. We need to start thinking of our bodies like a bank and we need to start putting some deposits of healthy movement into those body banks. We can't keep withdrawing all the time. And women will say, oh, my back hurts when I change the baby over the pack and play, but it lasts 30 seconds and then I'm fine. Well, that's 30 seconds times 10 times a day, times seven days a week, times... Now we're adding up. So we really need to start treating our bodies a little better, listening to the whispers of our body. Our body's telling us if we're doing something it doesn't like. We're just trained as women to shove it under the rug and keep plotting ahead, keep doing what you need to do, care for others. And if we really took a moment to listen to those cues, we could modify how we're moving our bodies so that we're respecting our parts just a little bit more. And then at that six week visit, Um, making sure your doctor tests you and asking them, could you test to see if I have a diastasis rectus abdominis? It should be a standard of care that they're tested at every visit and only a handful of women are tested. And from those that do get tested for this, only a handful are given a referral to physical therapy or some sort of core strengthening program. Most are told, you know, there's nothing you can do, just surgery. So you need to ask the question. And I will say at that six week checkup, they're gonna give you permission to do a few things. Number one, sex, which that's a whole nother podcast episode in itself, because we are not guiding women through how they're to return to being a sexual being on this planet. We're not giving them lubrication recommendations, position recommendations, talking to them about when it should be uncomfortable, when it's a red flag, if it's uncomfortable, we should be returning to vibrant, juicy, lovely sex lives. But they talk about exercise here too. And this is where they'll say, go ahead and resume. You know, if you're feeling good, resume an exercise program. I disagree. You should not have a six week postpartum woman running for as her first mode of exercise. You need to, you need to treat your pregnant body like a house. It's like a fixer upper project after you had a baby. You know, if you watch any of those fixer upper shows, there's this demo day where they go in and wreck up the show. You know, that's, I don't want to be dramatic, but birth is a little bit of a demolition project. And the second phase of those rehab projects is fixing what's broken. It's fixing the, the roof. It's fixing the leak in the foundation, if you skip, which we want to do as postpartum women, we want the quick calorie burn, we want the results, we want the big reveal, the fixer upper end of, you know, end of show where it's a brand new house. But if you skip that rebuild phase. It's essentially like seeing a crack in the foundation, smoothing an area rug over it. And you're going to get by like that for a little while, but that crack is getting bigger underneath the rug. Eventually you're peeling the rug off and doing the work you should have done right from the beginning. So the very first thing you do after your six week postpartum visit is not returning to running, is not getting back into CrossFit, is not doing all of the stuff you used to do. It's really starting from ground zero and building up that pelvic diaphragm coordination, finding your pelvic floor, making sure your deep abdominals know how to work, and then you can layer on more.
0: consumer sector of women's health. Visit www.femtechconsumerinnovation.com to view the superstar speaker lineup and enter code FEMPOWER15 for 15% off your ticket. Hope to see you there. I don't remember how far in it was and I uh, had a YMCA just down the street from me and I would I tried to jog over there and I'd run a marathon, but I ran a marathon a long, long time before I had gotten pregnant. I remember trying to go down to the YMCA, and I was trying to run. I think I ran a block, and it wasn't like I don't think it was at the six-week mark. But I agree with you, like it. And I never felt like I was having issues. I had a very easy pregnancy and delivery, which I'm so proud of. I was 41 when I delivered. I don't know Look at you! That I know it was, it was amazing. Like 20-minute birth, like it was nuts. I had a whole plan. It went out the window. I was like thinking I was going to like do hypno babies. I had the sign that said, please do not disturb the room. And none of it happened anyways. But yeah, I, I do remember like, even though I felt good, I felt like as soon as I delivered, I could have just walked out the actual trying to do that. It was like, whoa, my body just went through something, didn't it? So yes, yeah. absolutely. No need to push through that one. right? <laughs> um, this is really, really helpful. So what I'm hearing you say though, is going to the, the women's health PT is more after the six week mark, or should they try to go earlier if they want to do a quick check-in on how they're doing? What do you think?
1: I think starting some of these exercises on your own, like finding the pelvic floor and the, the respiratory diaphragm, you know, coordination. I think all of this is very fine to do in that first six weeks as a women's health PT. Um, I, I like, you know, I, I like seeing someone after they've been cleared by their gynecologist at the six week mark to make sure that nothing else is going on. Sometimes there's excess bleeding. There needs to be in DNC to remove some, you know, piece of placenta. So in, in the body, it takes about four to six weeks for soft tissues to heal. So, you know, I've had women come to me three days postpartum saying they're leaking urine and I'm like, okay, we're not going to worry so much right now. Things are swollen. Your body's still trying to figure itself out. So let's wait. And if you're still having this issue at four to six weeks, then we can talk about doing something. So I think there's a lot you can, plus you're overwhelmed and you're trapped under a newborn. So expecting you to go out and make a bunch of PT visits on top of your normal health visits and baby checks, I think is a little unrealistic. So if you don't have a major issue, I think working on your body mechanics You know, thinking about how you're moving your body around the world, starting to work those deep inner core muscles, nothing exercise wise, you know, wearing a binder, all of those are things you can do on your own. But at the six week checkup, I would encourage women to say, Could I see a women's health PT? I'd like a script you know, and maybe not even could, maybe I would like a script to see a women's health physical therapist and go even just for one visit where they can do an intravaginal assessment and make sure those muscles are doing what they should be doing. And, you know, just kind of give you a a nice, and then you establish this relationship because Lord knows, you know, after babies comes, you know, perimenopause and comes menopause and having a women's health PT on your team is always going to be a good idea.
0: Yep. No, I completely agree. Wow. This has been such an educational discussion. I can't thank you enough. And you're, you're such a, a, a natural teacher and just the way you are explaining all of this. So you're the expert and um, just an incredible um, teacher in this space. So I really appreciate that you reached out and, and have shared your wisdom with women because it's, it's so important. Now, you mentioned that you have training programs. Are these accessible to anyone? Do you just do them within your practice? I'm curious... Um, if, if people can access it because they sound incredibly valuable.
1: Yeah, no, they, you know, especially after last year, I kind of did a little pivot. So everything is offered online now. Women can take self-paced programs that they just sign up for and do at their own pace for both prenatal Pilates, postnatal Pilates, and DRA Core Restore. Um, sometimes women like the group scenario. So I do virtual group classes. You can join from anywhere in the world and at least you're with other women that are going through similar things and I deliver the information that way. And other women prefer to do private sessions, especially if you have some other things going on, because then I can tailor the program to completely meet your individual needs. So so again, everything is online. Everything is virtual. Of course, I'm really well known in my home community and people do come into my home studio to see me in person. Um, but you know, just the nature of the world as it is. I really wanted these programs to be accessible to everyone. So they are all online at kerrycoziel.com.
0: Wonderful. I'll put the link in the show notes. This is truly amazing. So now I always like to end with your greatest hope for women's health. So tell me what your greatest hope is.
1: Well, you know, when I think about it, I really, I really have two different, I I hate to not pick one, but I have two that are just, I can't either. So that's okay to have
0: (laughs) two hopes. I'm not an option kind of person. I'm an essay person.
1: You know, I have, yeah, I have more (laughs) hopes than two, but I'm going to narrow it down to two. The first one is that we as women really need to identify the difference between common and normal. We're told by, you know, social media and by commercials that, you know, after you have a baby, you're going to be peeing your pants. So just slap on a big pad and dance your way around the world. And I really want to challenge women to demand better. Our bodies were not designed to fail us. Having a child doesn't mean that we have to live with a lifetime of urinary incontinence or other female related issues. A lot of these things are fitness issues that deserve a fitness solution. So really looking at what we're being sold and asking ourselves, is this something that I have to live with? Is this a normal experience or is it just something common and I'm going to be the uncommon one that's going to challenge the norm and ask my doctor for a script for physical therapy or take that, you know, fitness program that really addresses the issue. So that's my first hope. And I really want to challenge women to demand better from their providers and their bodies, you know, um, and listen to their bodies. And then the second thing is really just shifting the focus from exercise to movement i love exercise i exercise you know almost every morning on my own it's a stress reliever for me and it's also you know this is my business so it's like going to a dentist with yellow teeth you know no one wants to come to a true. fitness teacher you know that hasn't been doing the work herself so i love to exercise every day but i i want women some women are trapped under a new baby or working three jobs or they just don't have the willpower right now and so i want to say Start simply, but simply start with thinking about movement and just moving your body better. So, how do you stand at the kitchen sink to wash your dishes? Do you lean into the counter? and outsource the work of your body to the counter? Or do you take one step back and actually wash the dishes by holding yourself upright? Same thing when you brush your teeth, you know, do you lean into the counter or can you step back Wait, That's exercise. And when you drive your car, do you slump down into the seat and have to pull the rearview mirror down to your little granny self? Or do you think about, wow, let me change the way I'm sitting so that I'm using better posture. When we think about moving our bodies better, instead of putting pressure on this daily exercise, when when we think about it as a cumulative effect, of what we're doing all day long. I think we're treating our bodies better. Um, so, so moving better from morning till night instead of just doing that one hour of exercise and then not mindfully thinking about how you move. Those are my two big hopes.
0: Wow, I like that you did too because they're both incredible. And I, I appreciate that you put a practical spin on both of those because I think that's needed because I'll tell you, I was a, a self-care queen, I felt. And once I had a, a child- it's it's changed a lot, and it's it's really hard to remember how important it is. And so, the practical advice. And by the way, when I brush my teeth, I'm walking around the house multitasking. So. <laughs> is that allowed? It's allowed. That's great. <laughs> Not always. In the mornings, yes. In the nighttime, never. But. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. But no, thank you so much, Carrie. It's such a pleasure to know you and thank you for everything that you're doing for women. It's it's really important work.
1: Well, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I loved being here.